And mind you, my dad bought a pear orchard with no background in farming How'd whatsoever. How'd that go? Well, we didn't last very long there, but when we were there, it was pretty fun. What's a good pear crop? Like, how do you know you're a successful pear farmer? Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Kaufman, Wintry Mix, episode 77. I find Olympians interesting. Not because I have Olympic fever and follow their careers very closely. I don't do that. I wonder about the arc of their life. What's it like when you are known forever for something that was maybe 2% of your time on Earth? Was it super intentional or was it mostly something that you did because all of a sudden you had a chance? It's not an answerable question really, but I got another bite at that apple during a recent visit to Colorado's Olympic hotbed of Steamboat Springs. Nelson Carmichael is one of the godfathers of modern mogul skiing. When I was barely a teenager on a pair of Hart F-17s, he was representing the U.S. in Calgary, then Albertville, taking home the first U.S. medal in moguls from those 92 games. A decade later, Caroline Lalive sped up the U.S. Alpine ranks to make it to Nagano and Salt Lake City. Now they're married, with children, in Steamboat, and taking us along for the ride. Recent episodes in the feed include a Summit County resident that tunes skis in his van, a late-night game show at the Powder7.com crew here in Golden, live from Eldora's opening day, and plenty more. Catch up. Also, a not-random archive episode for you is number 41 with Chris Diamond, who happened to be the president of Steamboat around the turn of the millennium. One other piece of news is that I'm going to bring back the car talk format for another go. Remember episode 59? Use the pod voicemail to send in your wintry car-related questions, 802-560-5003. Name, hometown, then let her rip. Once we have enough, we'll get Paul the skiing mechanic back on to answer them. Maybe soon if you send her. Any questions or partnership inquiries can be emailed to alex at wintrymixcast.com. <coughs> Beer sponsor. <coughs> Five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts mean I will owe you a beer in the wild. Current count, 186. And come follow or share at Wintry Mixcast on the gram so the influencers don't rule our world. Stand by for the goods. This episode of Wintry Mix is supported by Bojo's Colorado Style Pizza. With five locations along the Front Range and another in Steamboat, Bojo's is a uniquely Colorado destination since 1973. The food and beer menu is a mile high and their mountain pies will change how you think about pizza. Locals and visitors return to Bojo's for the family-friendly salad bar, relaxed atmosphere, Top quality beer list and pizzas measured by the pound. You'll see. Also a great spot for your holiday party or fundraiser with groups of 20 or more. 
Visit locations in Idaho Springs, the original and a perfect I-70 Opre off-ramp, Evergreen, Arvada, Fort Collins, Steamboat, and Longmont. Okay, we'll see you at Bojo's. Caroline Lalive mm-hmm. to my left, Nelson Carmichael to my right. Caroline, do you think you can give me the life story of Nelson Carmichael in about 90 seconds? Yeah, I would love to. Well, Nelson was born in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. Um, so not a wintry place to be born. Um, and then ended up moving up to Niagara Falls or Niagara area, New York. And was a hockey player, ironically, not really a skier. And so I think he would ski occasionally, maybe twice a year or something, three times a year. Um, But definitely excelled in hockey and I think found his kind of his calling or his niche in hockey as a young person. And uh, I I have to add something in here because via a radio or an interview, it's hard to grasp this about Nelson, but he's a really mellow, calm, even-keeled guy. I can't even tell if he's breathing right now. Yeah. <laughs> and the Still irony breathing. is that as a young person, he apparently kind of had an anger issue. And well, so, hockey's a good way to take Yeah, that exactly. Out. So I think he, he found his <laughs> his good niche in hockey, and, and uh, somehow that calmed him. But And that's, Ni- I mean, Niagara hockey is the thing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, everyone plays hockey. Yeah, that Southern Ontario, Western New York, and of course over in Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Um, but that whole, yeah, definitely. Everyone plays hockey. So we're playing hockey in what year is it? He was, I, hey, I was pretty young. Story. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he was You're young. He was young. Um, and then, so when his family then moved here to Steamboat in 77, and um, Nelson, you were 12 at the time, correct? Yeah. Okay. So I'm dating him there. Mm-hmm. But, and um, and his dad was a minister for the Episcopal Church and then had been kind of running these schools for um, at-risk youth. And so that's why they lived up in Niagara Falls. Okay. And so we got the opportunity to run a school up on Rabbit Ears Pass um, up at Lake Agnes. There's a, there was there, a school up there? There used to be, I wow. guess. It was long before my time here, but... Yeah, so he has, just outside of town here up on the pass. Okay. Yeah, so his dad moved the family out here sight unseen, and uh, and so they got here, and Nelson's mom took him downtown to sign up for hockey, and they realized there was no hockey here in town, and much to Nelson's dismay. And so they said, we don't have hockey, but we have a ski program. And so then Nelson's mom signed him up for alpine skiing, the irony again. And so Nelson joined the Winter Sports Club in Alpine, and... That was kind of his foray into skiing, which is crazy to me. At 12 years old, he started skiing and then ultimately won an Olympic medal, which, you know, is pretty annoying. So that creates about a <laughs> four to five year time span from trying skiing to being yeah. very, very good at skiing. Yes. Isn't that crazy? That's wild. That it's is really rapid. annoying. And there wasn't any freestyle skiing at the time. And so he just did Alpine and he said he didn't really like it. But then that's right when the Alpine or the freestyle skiing was kind of coming into being here and and Park Smalley was heading up this program where they would kind of rip all around the mountain and built a jump into a mud pit downtown and hay bales and they would launch themselves into mud and hay bales literally and True. doing aerials and 
And then he wins an Olympic medal. So come on. Like mud and hay bales, like flat? Well, or, so like, there. How would you build that? A couple of different ways. I, there was a little bit on snow, so that um, there'd be snow coming down the slope and then onto flat. And there, yeah, a couple of times he literally built a, a mud pit, just dug out a big hole and then filled it with water. And so you'd go from snow and jump into this mud pit water hole. So it's like um, water ramps, early water ramps. Early water ramps. And then, and then some of them, some of the early water ramps that you would kind of compare to today that has an artificial slope coming in. So say in the summertime with uh, brushes, or we call them green meanies, uh, built kind of a, a ramp for a true summer, but you're using your skis. And then it would be a uh, uh, straw bales all fluffed up and into a big pile of straw. So this is like 1983. <laughs> it was, yeah, early 80s. Yeah, late 70s, early 80s. And then he kind of got uptown and, and built a more legit pond, a little bigger, and lined it with plastic. And so we called it Rat Lake because there were some rats in there. And But, <laughs> but for us, that was a little more, it was, oh, this is a real pond. It, was, it wasn't just totally dug out of the mud. It actually was lined with a little bit of plastic, and it was moved over. And this was all at Halston, so I don't know how he... And Housen's owned by the city, and so he went down to uh, City Hall, City Council, and talked him into letting him do this. I mean, could you imagine today? We don't even have diving boards at the swimming pool, but he was able to get water ramps and jump into a mud pit. Behind the curtain the of the Olympic lineage here in Steamboat. <laughs> yeah, and that, was, that was safe training. So that was the whole idea really at the time because freestyle skiing had come out of this era who Park and John, his brother, and some other coaches that were older than I, they had come out of the era of freestyle had a heyday early 70s where it was kind of wild and free and you literally do, did whatever you wanted. That was the whole idea. But the flip side was people were getting hurt. And so especially at ski areas, they were saying, no, no, no more inverted aerials. We can't build jumps. We can't do these freestyle contests. So it almost disappeared. And that's kind of when I came into it, when it was growing out of that age of disappearance. And they said, no, we're going to be legit and we're going to train. And this is one way we're going to train is trampolines and water ramps. And we're going to certify these jumps and tell these kids, okay, now you're ready to do this certain jump on snow instead of just winging it out there. What were your top three go-to tricks when you were hucking in the mud pit? <laughs> um, I would do, uh, what would I do? Lay fulls, full fulls, um, triple tucks, um, that kind of thing. So yeah. inverted practice. Yeah, 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 inverted. So, um, I mean, back then, most everyone in freestyle did three events. So it was ballet, moguls, and aerials. And right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like a festival. So we'd go to a contest, and you would do, we would do ballet on Friday, moguls on Saturday, and aerials on Sunday. And everybody competed in all of them, and you were really competing for the overall. That was the big trophy the big event. So it was just normal that I did aerials and everyone else did too. Uh, nowadays it's so specialized. Aerial skiers really aren't mogul skiers, for example. And then ballet disappeared. Unfortunately, it didn't make the Olympics and so it's gone. And so that whole combined aspect is gone now. In the mid eighties and we have begun doing aerials into mud pits here in Steamboat. Yes. Continue. Okay. Um, and so the Nelson was a high school little grommet here following kind of the, like he, he mentioned these, the fathers, the forefathers of uh, freestyle skiing. And so, yeah, racing around, running around the mountain, trying to catch them. And, and I think you, again, kind of found your, your niche and your calling in freestyle skiing and went on to travel the whole, the world doing World Cups. Um, and then the 88 Olympics, uh, mogul skiing was a, a demonstration sport. That was demo year, yeah. Yeah, in Calgary. And Nelson went there and um, was winning after the first run. And and a, a little again, a little side note. Sadly, Nelson's dad had just died two weeks before 
those games. So I can't imagine, you know, where his head was there. But he was winning after the first round, and then you crashed out second. So coulda, woulda, shoulda. He would have maybe won a gold there in that demonstration event. And then it went on to be an Olympic sport. And Nelson went then again to the Olympics in 92 in Alberville. How were they judging during the demo year? You said you were leading after the first run, um, crashed on the second. Was it best of two, or did you have to land both? It was, for that event, it was a, a qualification run, the first run. Okay. But but interestingly, there was only 12 of us. It was such a small event because it was demonstration, and we were barely in there, and they had to have the field really small. So there were 12 guys. And so the idea in the first run, everybody would go again, but it was just going to be reverse order, which we used to do on World Cup anyway. We would cut to a top 16 out of maybe 80 people. This was, well, we only have 12, but we'll still do the first run, and we'll run, do reverse order, second run, and that'll be the run that counts. It's just the second run. So I crashed the second run, waiting last to go, went up there, and, yes, just overshot a little bit on something, slipped, spun around, crashed, and that was it. So it's a second-run game. Second-run game, yeah. It was yeah. all second-run at that one, yep. Which yeah. is a little bit different now, too, but we can talk about that later. All right, so then we're between 88 and 92. Continue. And then I don't know why Nelson quit World Cup and, and Olympics. I don't – this just part just baffles me. <laughs> Um, because that was the year, that's when Olympics, the next Olympics were just two years away because that's when they went to switching Alpine or winter and summer to, you know, so they would flip flop every two years. Mm -hmm. So then 92, so then the next Olympics were 94 94. in Lillehammer and you would have just had to wait two more years, but he was done with it. And then he went on to pro uh, mogul skiing. That was like that pro event course that would travel just around the States, right? Right. Yeah. And he did that. And then for what, like three years? Yeah, about that. Then he stopped competing pretty much and went on to other other things. <laughs> so I just tease Good him because, story. you know, he, you know, he had just two more years and sky's the limit, whereas my career was a lot different. So I went out in a flame So mid-90s <laughs> concludes the mogul skiing professionally aspect of life. Yeah. What did you jump into right away um, after that? I was doing a couple of things. Even before I stopped competing, I was um, I was coaching. So I was helping run a camp at Mount Hood. Um, and that took up a lot of time. Even though it was a summer camp, it took up a lot of time getting kids there and organizing the whole thing. And I was also doing these instructional videos. Um, so I did a series of those through the years of mogul skiing was a big thing at the time and kind of to help teach people um, did these videos and, and produced them and sold them. And so if you still have a VHS player, you might have one, but. Or you can find them on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Friend just sent <laughs> it yesterday. Parts. Funny, funny Nelson parts. shots. Fast forward us all the way to now as briefly as we can here. So 95 to now, back to Steamboat, meets you and happily ever after. Fill in a few <laughs> more dots there. Well, um, so I'm, I'm a bit younger than Nelson. So again, he um, had kind of, ended his career and I was just starting mine. Um, and so my family moved here to Steamboat in 95. Um, and then there's a photo of Nelson and I thinking about 97 or so when I was, I think it was like 17. And he's giving me an award or we're both presenting an award, which is pretty funny. Who knew that we would later be married? Um, so yeah, we knew each other just because of the ski world and both being here in Steamboat and affiliated with Iskiria. And and then, yeah, my first Olympics were 98, and Nelson can talk all about that, but um, ended up starting to date in um, 2008. 
and married in 2012. And here we are in 2019 with two crazy kids and all right, we'll, we'll save all that yeah. all that current fun stuff uh, for the second half. So Nelson, take over. Um, oh boy, she walk did a good us job. through Caroline's career and then a little bit of the now, and then we'll dig into the now for both of you a whole bunch. Okay, okay. Uh, starting off, well, I didn't know her out of Tahoe, but she was born in Truckee in California, and so they lived in in Tahoe. And um, having been there skiing myself a little bit. I always thought that was an awesome area and, and could have seen myself living there probably with the lake and the mountains and all that stuff it has to offer. So I always thought that was that was unique and, and such a cool place to be from. Um, and then going back there with her and later, it's been fun too. But anyway, so she was born in Truckee and, and grew up skiing there. And from what it sounds like, a lot different than growing up skiing here, uh, where the, the ski programs are, are more, I guess, structured, and we have the small hill, Halston Hill in town, where you're definitely doing your discipline, your training, your coaching, getting coached. You're up on the mountain with your group, and it's very, again, structured. And it sounds like in Tahoe, with the awesome uh, snow and conditions and the very terrain and the steeps and chutes and cliffs, and we don't have a lot of that here in Steamboat. We have some, but Anyway, so it sounds like they were just blasting around the mountain, kind of doing what I was doing in, in Moguls maybe, but they were doing it on, they were in a race program, but they were out there jumping cliffs as kids and following around their coaches doing it that way. And so I always thought that was, that was really unique. And again, that's maybe a little bit of a side story, but I think that's why she became such a good skier is because uh, having the, the race background and doing that training, doing the racing, but also growing up in an environment like that where you're, it's it's not Minnesota just chasing gates all the time. It's it's so much different. So they uh, moved uh, from Truckee, and and it sounds like we're the family was maybe getting a little antsy and looking for a little bit different community. Um, Is and, this but the still farm have time? I read right, about right, hair farm, it. right? You and so <laughs> and I think her dad, her dad Francois, um, being from Switzerland originally. It sounds like from going out to Mount Hood, he kind of looked around in the summertime. They would go to summer camps out there, too, with racing. And he would look around and go, you know, this kind of reminds me of Switzerland. There's these low valleys, and then there's this big peak with snow on it. And I think I want to live out here. And so, and they were looking maybe for a little bit different community and different vibe and, and different school for their kids and um, and still be able to do, do ski programs. And so they moved out to Mount Hood area and, and Parkdale, Oregon. So it sounds like it was a big, big change. Um, I, from Caroline's perspective anyway, kind of, what are we doing? Where are we going? It's kind of close to Hood River. <laughs> yeah. Close yeah, to Hood River. Yeah. yeah. And it sounded like it ended it up like being a lot of a lot of driving and traveling because they would do school in Hood River, but they lived in Parkdale, but they'd ski at Mount Hood. And so it was, I think, a lot different that way than Tahoe where it was the skiing was right there and the lake was right there and the town was right there. So, um, And mind you, my dad bought a pear orchard with no background in farming How'd whatsoever. How'd that go? Well, we didn't last very long there, but when we were there, it was pretty fun. What's a good pear crop? Like, how do you know you're a successful pear farmer? I know. Well, I mean, it's all based on your yield, what you you yield as far as pounds of pears. And ironically, you kind of sell or you're you sell on the future of your of your crop, mm-hmm. which is so weird. But it's um, like a luxury apple. Basically, yes, probably it's it like more of, expensive, but it's the same yes, type of commodity. Yeah, that, yeah, I guess that's a good way of looking at it. It's, it's, and the thing is, it's not as hardy as an apple. They're a lot more uh, delicate, so to speak. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was a crazy life. We, my family was just in town. We were reminiscing about like we had ferrets, and we'd train our ferrets to catch gophers because gophers eat the root of the trees. And I don't know, it was, it was a total. <laughs> 
It was three wild years. time. So you which... took some learnings from it. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Do you like pears? Yeah. Hmm. For a while there, we were sick of them, but pro pear. <laughs> yeah, but now I'm definitely pro pear. Okay, Back so so pear. we're we're still we got the pear farm and we're at Hood, and then what yeah. happens? And then was it three years there? Yeah. Parkdale. Three yeah. Years, yeah. And then I think really looking again for for better school situation and maybe a better club situation and and proximity get all that back together again and so they were it sounds like parents were a little bit on the hunt Caroline was the oldest of three and the other two her sister and her brother were also in skiing and and then snowboarding but kind of the I think they're the parents were thinking the same lines for them hey hey we need to find a good school whether it's an academy or it sounds like the ski program thing you know we need to do this a little bit better and so they went searching around and and landed here in Steamboat and Caroline uh, went to Whiteman School or the Steamboat Mountain School, it's, it's called. So that really is a ski academy and then could be training with the Winter Sports Club here and also have the Big Mountain of Steamboat. So well, it, it's not really a ski academy. It's I know a, that school. We used to play. I played soccer for Battle Mountain. Okay. We played against them. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Right. 1995, 6. Yeah. Oh, I probably played, played against soccer. you. We were born in the same year, so okay. we know the same people. <laughs> yeah, that could, I think I could come back guys. to haunt us. Yeah, because uh-huh. I was on the boys soccer team up there so we played you guys sarah schlepper was on our boys soccer yeah, team oh uh, really yeah. yeah for a while yeah and then she wasn't okay we'll talk about that <laughs> so then you were a, you were a junior when you first came yeah junior yeah. high school yeah and then made the ski team right away so it was it's it sounds like they moved the here yeah the u.s ski team so they moved here okay yay we're a little more settled we've got this quasi Parts, uh, whatever you want to call it, ski. I call it ski academy. But anyway, this this private school where skiing is a good focus for sure. Um, I want to pause and everything's, there for, okay. for just a second because um, it's a good time. You came, each of you, one intentionally for the skiing, mm-hmm. one completely unintentionally for the skiing. Mm-hmm. The skiing became True. something after. Right. Um, with the lineage of Olympians in Steamboat, I walk around the base area, see this 89 and counting. It's what's the what's the catchphrase olympic town usa what's well, ski town usa but yeah. but is there an olympic phrase that goes with that or just kind of we, we have learned here we produce more winter olympians than any other place in the u.s more winter olympians than any other place in the u.s do we think more of them come here intentionally to do that or are here for other reasons and then become olympians because they're in the environment if we had to say which one is more is it kind of 50 50 or is it almost all intentional no, I'd say I, almost all intentional these days. No, I would, these days. Okay. I would, I would so say early. the opposite. Okay. Huh. Interesting. So maybe it's 50-50. I mean, I think previously, like in our era, um, I mean, my family didn't move here so I could become an Olympian. By it's it was really more about the town, um, the mountain, and and the schools, just the community. That's what my and ironically, before we moved to Oregon, we looked at moving here. This was always somewhere that my parents really, really were drawn to. Um, so for me, my family didn't move here so that I could become an Olympian. It was really just that the community and schools and ski program like fit the bill. And then I became an Olympian. And um, I think probably as word has gotten out and as that brand has become established and as the facilities have developed, yeah, it's I think probably kind of tilted, shifted I do, because that's definitely now, I think people move here with the expectation that their kid's going to become an Olympian, which unfortunately is... is uh, it's a high bar. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I th- yeah, I think like Caroline said is is true... I think like a lot of a lot of parents too, and you said that people move here for the intention of 
a good ski program, good schools, good community, and maybe out there too is the U.S. ski team or the Olympics. But at least, hey, my kid's interested in this. Maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't. There's some parents, and Caroline has has seen him in the club. That yeah, we're going to move here and be an Olympian. But I well, think that's and, rare. And less for that's rare. Being an Olympian and more just for the <clears throat> Olympic caliber training opportunities. Yeah, the opportunities the culture, here. Yeah. Right. The culture of it's here. The opportunities here. True. But I think personally, that's why Steamboat has had so many Olympians is because the culture in Steamboat's understated in so many ways like people i would say are generally very humble about their their olympian status i mean we're just one of many and i think that's why people have have had so much success i think if if you come here with the expectation to become an olympian it's that's gonna well, backfire and our, our chaperone here lauren um <laughs> i was chatting with earlier and i made the distinction for other reasons that almost every ski town is transient Except for this one. Yeah. This one is so much less transient than every other ski town that I've spent time in. That's true. Or ski region. And I think that kind of rooted nature um, where people can come here and they're more likely to stay here for a longer period of time is probably a relevant variable in this entire discussion. I think so, yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. It really, I mean, you hear it all the time. It's really true that Steamboat has a great community and people stay here for that. They come back for that. It's definitely true. Not being on an interstate. Yeah, yeah, and it's a little bit away from a lot of the other busy places. So if people want to be here, they make that effort. And then once you're here, it's kind of everything is here. And if you want that big stuff, you can go get it, but it's a little farther away, and, and we sort of like that. All right, so we're almost to the finish line of Caroline's story. Where did I cut you off? It was um, just after you moved to Steamboat and right. started training seriously. Um, this is kind of your Tahoe 2.0 zone for your family. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And so, yes, she, so uh, it sounds a bit ironic to me that she moved here and then all of a sudden was really doing more ski team stuff and gone. So they all kind of moved here and yet Caroline was gone. Oh, we have this camp. You have to go to South America. You're going to Europe over and over again. You're going to Scandinavia and then start, I mean, it's exciting, but it's also, it's kind of, well, the family moved here and yet Caroline's sort of gone. (laughs) <laughs> so that, but they didn't move here just for me. Sure, yeah. And there's two other kids, and for them too, yeah. Um, and so it worked out well. I mean, that was, um, I think, part of the goal, even though you never know if that's going to happen. But it, it worked out. And, and being young, I mean, it's always great to hear stories about how good she was, but also how good she was young. And to be a junior in high school and you're already on your way, I mean, it's it's really perfect. That's really what you want. But a lot of times kids don't kind of make that stage until they're a little bit after high school and then it can be a struggle of of where to go and what to do am i going to college am i going to race in college is the ski team dream kind of over or do i take another gap year and anyway so caroline was already on that track and so um and i i always knew her from being here and you know other skiers being from here and other people in the club and and certainly other people that are doing world cup and there weren't who else was doing uh, World Cup Alpine Later, at the like time? Brett Buckles, but yeah, yeah, not no, very many. No. So you, so I would hear about Caroline pretty often. She'd be in the newspaper, or she would pictures be around, or, or well, yeah, the, I saw World Junior Champion. What does that even mean? And how old are you when you are a World Junior Champion? Like twelve or eighteen or in I between? was nineteen. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that was the best under nineteen athletes in the world. Yeah, so I won won that and. And I've got these cliff notes here. We got five World Cup podiums, 98 and 02 Olympics. 
what else should be is on that kind of accolade list that you that you rattle off or people rattle off for you? Let, let's see what Nelson can say during oh, that, that time frame. You know, how many national championships? Uh, I think quite a three few. or four. Yeah. yeah. What was your go-to? Were you a slalom, GS, downhill, everything? I did everything, and yeah, until later in my career, and then I was mostly downhill and super G. But early on, I was everything. Yeah, and I've learned that that's kind of typical. I didn't know that before, but kids would do everything, sort of like we did in freestyle, so I could relate to that. Oh, you do everything. That's sort of normal. But then as she explained to me and the more alpine people I'd meet as they got older, they kind of found found what they're better in. Or as they got older, too, the tendency would be towards the speed events, which I never knew before. So you might be a great psalm skier as a kid, but then you turn into a downhiller when you're maybe 22 or something. That's your specialty. You got twitch so, muscles when you're young, and then when you're <laughs> yeah. later, you don't have as much fear. You go faster. Maybe that's it. Is yeah. that it? And they don't run full downhills until a little bit later, too, which I didn't realize. So I thought as a kid, you know, you're doing downhill, too. But she said, no, you have to be a little older, yeah, a little stronger. It's a little safer to do full downhills. So you start doing those a little bit later. You might train for them a little bit, but full racing, you're doing them a little later. I feel like 98 and 02 and that time period is when ski technology was absolutely just changing light yeah. speed as far as, like, shape. Yeah, that was, like, the induction that 99 was the first year of like uh shaped like short slalom when they threw the word parabolic yeah exactly yeah yeah so we that like while your skis under your feet are just changing drastically when you learned on a but you're now skiing on b i know i think i think that was um i mean in a lot of ways it was really cool to be a part of that and i was young so i was able to jump on that quickly whereas older athletes i think had a really hard time because you really had to change your technique and you had to change your approach and i mean the line actually through the gates changed um so it was good to be younger and be on that trend the the downfall was that was then the huge rise in a lot of knee injuries um so that was unfortunately i was also part of that that evolution where there was just so many more blown that out was a knees. thing so it yeah was, it's a an agreed upon thing that yeah i mean that's why they've now since reversed it again wow yeah i'd never heard of that yeah now skis are you know there's the the, the radius was the shape of the ski and um so they went you know we suddenly like in slalom you'd have really short sh- way shaped skis same in gs shorter and shaped and i mean there was less shape at, at the longer the ski was like through downhill you know the less shape but now they've gone back to straight skinny skis for for everyone in all events because yeah it was just too too much torque um lots Sends of knee- yeah yeah i mean it was just the yeah the, the reaction of the ski was just too too yeah. much and especially at high speeds you just it was a recipe for disaster i mean there was deaths there was a lot of deaths in ski in alpine racing and bad injuries so they changed that. Not so, in my time, though. <laughs> so, okay. So, 2019, we're sitting in a conference room, fourth floor of this building is called Gondola Square Building. Gondola Building? Okay. You guys are now, I hope, happily married. I'll put the word happily in front of it, and you guys can, <laughs> whatever. Two kids. And recently, 2018, you were grand marshals of a parade in Steamboat. You and, I don't know, hundreds of other Olympians live in town. It's kind of Olympian soup. <laughs> is is that a good thing? Is that annoying? What's that like? Um, do you go out and people recognize you? Do the, are you famous? Just in our own minds. 
<laughs> no, we're um, we, there are a lot of Olympians in town, which is a good thing. So I think it keeps everybody humble and uh, people may recognize us, but it's I find it's more from skiing. If we know the people from the mountain or maybe the winter sports club uh, it's, through those sports that we did, they may know us, uh, I, I find. But other recognition otherwise, not so much. So I think it's it's nice that way. It's uh, and we're always rooting for more Olympians for sure. Come here and do the same thing. So what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we're kind of has-beens in, in ways. And again, I think just because Steamboat has such a huge heritage of Olympians and people are pretty down to earth, it's, I don't think it's that big of a deal. People aren't that starstruck, which is great. We, I think we prefer it that way. But I mean, I know when I, a uh, funny story, when I, I think was going into my first or maybe, yeah, I had just finished the 98 Olympics and, you know, I'd done really well there at a young age and then won Junior Worlds the next year and then had won some, um, been on the podium. So I remember I had just gotten on the cover of Steamboat Magazine here and then was in Newsweek and Time Magazine or something and um, featured in there. And I had gone to Denver to stock up before flying over to Europe for the season. And so, you know, there's all these magazines there in, in like the local Target or something and um, I'm on the cover and was feeling pretty proud of myself, you know, at a young age. And so I was walking around and tooling around there, picking up, you know, those were, these were in the days where we would bring like VHS movies over to Europe so we could watch them over there and books and long before, you know, any streaming of videos or anything. And this, um, this lady kind of was following me around and kept staring at me. And I thought, oh, she recognizes me. This is, I've made it. And uh, so she approached me in the aisle and, and tapped me on the shoulder. And I was, you know, getting ready to sign some autographs and tell her about my prestige as an Olympian. And, and she told me that I had toilet paper hanging out of the back of my pants. <laughs> and uh, Reality check. Yeah. So, so that was a, a good, uh, good being brought back down to earth. Uh, no, I wasn't famous. I was just infamous for toilet paper hanging out of my pants. <laughs> While you were doing that, I was here in Steamboat at CMC Alpine Campus downloading music at the computer lab before Napster existed. Yeah, there you That's go. That's what I was up to. Yeah. It wasn't that important. Before right. Napster. Yeah, before uh-huh. Napster. I got the pre-Napster. Um, I was a hippie at the time, long hair. It was all Fish and Grateful Dead, and there were all these chat rooms that you could go in and and you know click these links and download a song. You didn't know if it was going to be a good version or a bad version. You just had to get it. Yeah. Um, so we bogged down the computer lab with that. Um, that was probably 97 or 98. Um, and then... I transferred. I had Napster during college. I was college Napster time. Burned out like two different, you know, desktops doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, the 90s. So you guys already knew each other. Does that mean you like dated or didn't even need to date? It just kind of was a, hey, we both understand each other. We both know each other. This would work pretty well. Like, how did that happen? There was probably some of that, but there was some dating also. Yeah. Uh, so Caroline was doing World Cup, but when I... When I knew her more, uh, it was in between injuries, I think, how I got to know her more and more. So she was kind of at the tail end of the career at that time. And I had, I had since retired a number of years before. And so I wasn't competing, but I knew the feeling of certainly uh, how to, that you're stopping. And this ski career was not going on. And what do I do next? And uh, kind of looking forward to all that. But also, it's a, it's a strange time. And being injured, I didn't really know that part as much as, as far as getting out of the sport and being injured as well. And so I felt, always felt bad for those parts of it. But anyway, that's just kind of how we got together because she was home more. And so I was home here in Steamboat because I wasn't on the road. And, and she was home more be, um, 
whether it was recovering from an injury or then she ultimately stopped and, and didn't go back. And so, yeah, I felt like I, I understood the whole athlete and the whole competition scene. I understood World Cup. I understood winter sport. I, so I think all that was fairly natural. We were all, we'd all been the same. And it was kind of nice that we didn't do it together, and yet we knew all about it. Injuries probably help athletes get other things done in their lives. I think so, yeah, because it's like a forced pause. Um, it's, and that's actually when I would go take college classes or do, yeah, do that other part of my life and, yeah, and be home more. And, yeah, so I, I think you're right. Although you're, you're really preoccupied with recuperating and getting back out on the road. But, but uh, due to the plethora of injuries I had, I, I definitely had some time. So the, the two ways that my path accidentally crossed with each of you. Caroline, you competed against Sarah Schlepper, right? She was one yep. of your main yeah, we're the same, U.S. team. Yeah, yeah, we're the same age and, and still to this day great friends. Is she still rocking on the Mexican team? She is, yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. I love seeing I her name, like she's still racing. I know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's awesome. So I was going to Battle Mountain. We were playing soccer against Whitman. She was on the boys' soccer team. Yep. Toby Dawson was on it, too. I was on the team, Sarah Schlepper and Toby Dawson, uh-huh. all three of us. Yep. I was training with Toby Dawson, but not at his caliber. Um, Toby wasn't involved in this part, but, but mm, two-thirds of the soccer team got caught at a high school party. <laughs> and I don't need to say what was going on. There was a high school party. and Was Rocky part of this? Did you know Rocky? I don't remember everybody okay. from those days. Okay. I okay. wasn't making the best life decisions. Okay. But we all had to go back and answer to the coach. Coach heard about it. And if you had admitted you were there, you were off the team. If you lied, you stayed on the team. I lied. I stayed on the team. She admitted that she was at the party and she was kicked off the team. Wow. She was like one of two or three people that told the truth and paid the price. Wow. And the rest of the team lied, said they weren't there, and continued. That's a very strange method of... It's uh, a wild fact. Yeah. Um... But that occurred. Um, huh. All the best to Sarah Schlepper, but that yep. occurred. And uh, I haven't seen her since. Seen her on Twitter here and there. Yeah. And then separately, this is not anybody you competed against because obviously Toby Dawson was a decade later. He was after. 15 yeah. years later. Um, but in the year when I was at CMC, again, all this – I must have done too much partying. So this was a college party event as well. In the dorms, I'm knocking on a door. Toby and some other people are inside. Um, I don't think he knew who was outside the door. Or maybe he did know, and he just didn't like me. Opens the door, punches me in the face. Whoa. So I got punched by a mogul Olympian <laughs> in the face here in Steamboat in <laughs> Olympic Town, USA. So I got uh, I played soccer with Schlepper. She was kicked off the team for telling the truth. Toby Dawson punched me in the face. Those are my wow. two Olympic stories. Wow. Uh, how did it feel to be kind of the immediate predecessor as far as successful male mogul skiing in the U.S. before Mosley kind of blew up as a media thing? Um, did you ever kind of like, I don't know, if I was in your shoes, I would have been grumpy. I don't think grumpy. No, I was excited for him. He, we competed a little bit together. He was just coming on to World Cup. We maybe overlapped one or two World Cups uh, at the most. But anyway, so and I knew him from training camps, and so he was definitely up and coming. And he did combined. 
he's an amazing athlete and could do anything really. And so he happened to stick with moguls, but he was anyway. Um, so I, I kind of knew he was, he was coming on. Uh, I was stopping and that was fine. Uh, and I was excited for him, but I was, to be honest, I was really excited for mogul skiing because you asked about the early days and being kind of one of those first maybe to get recognized. And it was really because of the Olympics. And uh, in 88, it was a weird time because it was a demonstration event, which doesn't exist anymore. They, I think uh, it was a smart choice on uh, Olympic committee part not to have demonstration sports because really people don't know to pay attention to it. Does the media show it? Are there tickets available? What is this? And it was kind of an odd thing. And so we were, we felt like we were sort of in the sideshow a little bit. As I mentioned, there were just 12 of us in the event and it was just so small and wasn't really a part. And then. And if you won, you weren't awarded an Olympic medal. It, it was, was like a different. weird medal. It was just exposure opportunity. Yeah. You but had a, to be determined. Yep. You had an actual medal, but it's true. It was a different medal. Uh, and I don't remember what they look like, but I just remember they were different anyway. Uh, so I wanted to continue to 92 because then it was going to be a real metal sport. And I thought, okay, you know, we always, we always knew, and maybe everybody feels this about their sport, but we freestyle skiers always had this drive to really show the world, at least the ski world, their sport, their event, because we were always the, the second child, third, fourth, fifth child, um, just scraping by doing what we could, but we knew it was exciting. And we knew if people saw it, they would be into it. And so I was thinking, yeah, 92 people will see it. It'll be a real metal event. Still don't know if it's going to have the ultimate TV coverage that everything else does, but it'll at least be on there some, we figured. And uh, so that was an exciting time for sure. Um, and it, as it ended up, I mean, they showed quite a bit and people did know about it and, and people were recognized. And uh, it was a big change to me because maybe I would be on a podium for a World Cup before that in Europe somewhere and maybe somebody back home would hear about it. And then the Olympics, every single person that I ever knew and people I don't know, they knew that mogul event was on TV. They knew who won, who was second, who was third. They knew all about it. And so I thought, wow, this is a, this is a big change. And that's really what it did for us. And so it was exciting to be a part of that, definitely. Uh, and then 94 came around and it came around pretty fast, but um, all of a sudden Olympic moguls, they showed, I think the semifinal, most of it, they showed the whole final. And that was, again, a big jump up. And again, people knew who they, who they were. Uh, Liz McIntyre was a girl from Winter Park and she was second. And so that was great, again, exposure in the States to have an American in there because of course that hypes it up some more for America. Um, so we had that rolling and then there was that break before Johnny Mosley and that was in 98. And then by then it was, everybody wanted to see moguls. I mean, that's, so we were sort of relieved in the freestyle community. We were going, finally, you know, we're finally, getting this almost the same or maybe even the same at that point as say alpine skiing as far as coverage and and kind of hype up to it so everybody knew about moguls everybody wanted to watch moguls it would, that never happened before people would maybe catch it <laughs> and think oh that's kind of cool but this time in 98 so then when he won it was really the perfect moment because um, to be honest i think after that it kind of dropped off again um and 2002 was i mean it was exciting but they still couldn't do inverted tricks, for example, in moguls. And it was maybe the, like a lot of things, the rise up is exciting. And then once it gets there, it sort of plateaus. And I feel like looking back at 2002, that was a big year again uh, for Americans or for mogul skiing. And it was in Salt Lake and all those great things, but it didn't have that, that rise that we felt before. So uh, it's kind of a long story, but I guess that just shows that I, I'm more proud really of the sport, I think all along that era. 
Nelson, did you build your house here? Like, so uh, I, I don't look at mogul skiers and think also house builders. <laughs> were you were you pounding nails or were you organizing contractors? And I read something about maybe the neighbors didn't like the house you built or is that is that <laughs> yeah, some myths about building a house in a ski town yourself? Uh, yeah, I I did build the last house here. Not He's all built by a myself. Few. A few, okay. A few wow. homes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've built a few. It's funny. I when I first looked in real estate years ago, and we all need somewhere to live. And um, the first one was actually out uh, near Hood River, and out there a lot with the summer ski camps, and uh, out there windsurfing at the time, and spending more and more. The summer kind of got longer and longer and longer. Anyway, started looking for a place to live out there, and and ended up building one, and that was through a contractor and. It was kind of a kit home contractor slash uh, combo. But anyway, so that was my first foray into it. And I never thought about it before. But then since then, yeah, I've, I've built, um, uh, I had my hand in another one. I built, yeah, two here in Steamboat. And the last one that we live in, I built. And But I definitely had a lot of help. Uh, so, um, I mean, this last one, I there wasn't a general contractor other than me. So I called myself the trash guy, basically. So I would keep up on all the garbage, but also everything else. Uh, yeah, so having never really had that background, I just kind of got into it by chance of, of uh, thinking, oh, I can do this. And yeah, that doesn't look that hard. I can do that. And two two tips for folks thinking about building their own house in a ski town. Don't do it. No. <laughs> Number one, don't do it. Okay. I think no. I think first is location. Yeah, and we hear that all the time about real estate, but it's, uh, yeah, where you want to live or where you want to be, it's really true. And and obviously it's where you'd like to be might be way too expensive and you can't be there. So there's some parameters that you have to deal with, but location is really important because that's just not going to change. I mean, you can change the kitchen, the windows, the roof, whatever, but the location is not going to change. So I think that's key. And then also think about uh, the winter and the, the climate, the the seasons. I mean, the sun might be super high in July and everything's rosy and warm. And, and yet here we are, uh, coming up on December and it's cold and the sun's low. And so where that's going to be. So how to, how to really build, plan, build, think about the house in terms of the seasons in a climate like this, those would be my two tips. And Caroline, you're busy because you're launching a local business, a cosmetics business, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, after skiing, I while I was skiing, I always actually wanted to, to be a doctor and go to med school. And um, I just felt once I retired at 29 years old, I, I was too old to, to pursue that. And so I actually went to school to do medical um, esthetician. So to kind of work more with a doctor or some, along those lines doing aesthetics. And then um, had a little spa in town and sold that and then segued into um, makeup, which I absolutely love, which is kind of funny. Um, having been like kind of a tomboy, tough kid and people can't see your makeup under ski clothes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, ironically now that's a big part of, of women's sports, which is weird to me, but, um, yeah. So I always, I, I really love makeup. And so then I started, um, becoming a makeup artist and, and doing a lot more makeup. And so, yeah, I, I have that business here in town and, and, currently kind of trying to brainstorm how to, to grow that in a mountain town and and have it not be so seasonal. Cause, well, what's it called? Uh, Caroline Laleve Beauty and Makeup Artistry, yeah. Is, but, there a, is there a brick and mortar location or maybe in the future? I have a, a, a studio, yeah, where I, I do my makeup, but my hope is to, to grow it into something more of a, a shop, you know, where maybe there would be some retail and yeah, that's my hope since I like it. I mean, I want it, I want to do it more. Ask Lauren. 
<laughs> there you go. <laughs> Fantastic. Which uh, Olympians, as far as the sport type, have the most fun? Oh, boy. That's a good question. I think the ones that are done early. Oh, right. And can have fun the rest of the games. Yeah. As far as Olympians at the Olympics. Yeah. yeah. I, I, so whoever that might be. Um, Although those, they, they get into trouble sometimes. <laughs> that's true. And then Do they the curling people really just drink a lot or is that just a myth? I have no idea. But man, some of those guys have awesome outfits. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, who has the most fun? Um, Whoever yeah, wow. is winning has yeah, the most okay. fun. Who has the least fun? <laughs> the losers. The, Going home God, the person that gets fourth place. Or people or that just fourth can't place. have fun. They just tunnel vision, you know. Yeah. You can't, I might, you there's probably some winners that are not having that much fun. That's too bad for them, man. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a quick moment. Your, your own moment at the Olympics is quick, but yet the Olympics themselves are drawn out three weeks or almost three weeks. And so, unfortunately, a lot of people don't get to yeah, stay that whole time. They you, usually move you out because they don't want you to get in trouble. So once your event is done, they often, your team usually kind of moves you along. Yeah. So you can have some parties and have some fun, but then typically, right, you're, for example, I didn't go to any closing ceremonies. It was, I wasn't there and yeah, maybe kicked out by then or it wasn't, something else was going on. So didn't stay for the whole thing. Uh, and you see others that are, that are there a little later and they're there for closing. And that looks like a pretty fun time to kind of extend that and kind of to wrap it all up, I think would be would be pretty nice for for us yeah we went right back to world cup and we had we had events yeah we had events farther away and had to get there yeah you usually have an event the next weekend already and like i know when i was in japan we flew right back to france so um yeah oftentimes you're you're just right on to the next thing are you glad you didn't have to deal with social media while you're in this phase of your life in the olympics yeah it's interesting i don't think i would have been that into it i i keep Cause even today I keep, I go towards it. I, I, I'll post a couple of things and then I'll forget about it and I won't even think about it. And, and then I think it's kind of weird. I don't want to post my own picture on there and then look for comments or likes or clicks or I don't know. So then, yeah, I can't, I really can't. I have a hard time even now being consistent with it. So I think back then I probably would have been similar. Like, oh, this is a whole new thing and you got to do this and you got to do that. And I'd go, eh, it's just, I, I'm going to go train. When you would have had so much, I mean, just the, the negative feedback loop of the whole thing and having it not kind of beat you up. Yeah, that yeah, would that be That part's crazy. I think that's a new added element for athletes. That To, to tag on with Nelson there, we had a funny parent um, that came through the club that wasn't very familiar with, with skiing. And, and so myself and another, another coach, Chris Puckett, he was also an Olympian. And so we were talking with his parent and talking about our, our, our Olympian days and races. And so the parent went home and, and Googled us. And because Chris Puckett for sure was before the era of, of things being on the internet, the, the father came back and said, you're, you're lying. You were, you were not an Olympian. I, I couldn't find anything about you on, on the internet. I didn't oh see any God. races or anything. Yeah. And Chris, Chris just <laughs> laughed because I mean, that, that's kind of the mentality now, you know, is like if, if you can't find someone, it, it didn't exist or something. So, so, uh, we, I think in a lot of ways it, it was easier because you, you weren't, a slave to to you know media in that sense and i i feel like i was just starting on the cusp of of more and more media because i know like before the 2002 olympics like nbc came here and filmed like for a week long with my family and and there was like a press junket and traveling around so i think 
you know, I, I definitely was a little bit more of that. And then there was the internet and writing and newspaper. And so, but I think we both did get out before the, the craze of, of kind of your 24 hour life being on, on the Olympic or on the world stage, which gosh, that would be a nightmare. All right, well, speaking of getting out, I got to go get my kids. You probably have to go get your kids. True. We do. So this is the final question. Imagine I'm four years old. So the age of your eldest right? daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, describe what the Olympics are to a four-year-old. Mm. Have you even tried? I mean, to what extent does your four-year-old daughter understand even what Olympics are? She has no idea. Yeah, she doesn't know She could know care yet. less. Okay. I think I would explain it to her as these are the best athletes in the world at all the different sports all coming together at one time, and it's called the Olympics. So know what, does she know what the word athletes means? Or, or, or would it be more like, these people are really good at jumping and yeah, running and I going think that's fast. More accurate. Yeah. These people yeah. go the fastest. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. like right now with skiing, she loves jumps. Like she's just looking for jumps everywhere. So yeah, maybe say, these people are the best at jumps or something like that. But Yeah, true, yeah. And people always ask us, oh, do you want her to be an Olympian or skier? And I mean, I... We really could care less. We just want her to, to enjoy. I mean, I would love for her to love skiing. That's the bottom line. And and she didn't love it at first, which really was heartbreaking for me. But now she loves it, and that's as a parent, that's all I care about. Have them ski the most in the spring. Bring them out in March yeah, and April, yeah. and they'll love it. Yeah, that's true. No, yeah, she loves it now, and and I, I that's all we can ask for. I just want her to to love love skiing and actually love so many sports. Love what we get to do here in Steamboat. And neither of you guys are. Limping? You guys are both standing up straight? Doing okay. Yeah, doing okay. There's always some ailments here and there, but nothing major, nothing lingering from way back then. We're more just losing our minds. You guys are in better shape than me. I got none of the glory, but all the wear and tear. (laughs) None of it. All right, I'm going to go get my kids. You go get your kids. Thank you so much. Thank you. Alex, thank you. Yeah, Yeah, very nice. Thanks for having us. And it's rant time. I recently put out a rant time call to the Wintry Mix Facebook fans. And the best thing I can do with it is just tell you every topic. These are not mine. These are yours. So here goes. Buying a new pair of Kinkos each year to look core is wasteful. Early season trail count inflation. People with white plates in Vermont driving too slow in the passing lane. Why do skiers get mad about things they can't control, and why do they continue to ski if they are so mad? Ski areas that don't allow snowboarding. Alta wanting to expand into Grizzly Gulch. Mediocre ski reviews. Lack of community involvement by large ski resorts. Lack of coverage of female outdoor slash ski photographers. People who complain about winter. Epic and icon impact on the resort powder day experience. Phone-handed drivers. End of your rant list. Adam Levy, thanks to Lauren Duke from Steamboat Resort for helping me link up with Caroline and Nelson. Also, Lib Diamond from Point Six, who makes great wool socks. Thanks for your help as well. 
follow on Instagram at Wintry Mixcast or find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Leave the pod a voicemail or text at 802-560-5003. Remember, the Car Talk episode is uh, coming up. And five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts mean I will owe you a beer in the wild. Stick around for After the Beep. Goodbye. My name is Greg. I'm originally from Philly, now up here in Burlington, Vermont. I've got a torn ACL right before the season, and I don't know how to stay busy. What do you turn to? What do you turn to when you can't ski or snowboard? What do you do in the wintertime? I don't want to go crazy. I moved up to Vermont just to snowboard, and now I can't. Please help. Hmm. How about learn a foreign language? Or find love? Or set a new world record for hot tubbing? Or you're going to need the extra time to figure out the intricacies of your health insurance anyway, bud. Hey, this is Tim from New Hampshire. Uh, I'm calling in to rant, and I thought of a second one while I'm calling in for this one. I'm sitting here on 101, driving in a snowstorm, which is probably going to be named, but it's just snow, and I don't know why they try to scare people. Just got some new tires on. Haven't hit the brakes since I've been on the highway, but if you've got a rear-wheel drive car with bald summer tires, Get off the road. The only reason driving in the snow is scary is because of people like you. End rant. Yeah. Well, like, my wife is already like, we're going up for the weekend. It's been time with family. You can't podcast the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. That was always, that's always a thing. (laughs) Did you know Lib? Oh, cool. Okay. Um, Well, I knew Lib's dad. Oh, okay. I worked for Chris back in the day. Awesome. And I had him on the podcast like four years ago. Nice. That's funny. Who knows the trick to make sure their iPhone doesn't shut off when it has dormancy? It's in control center, right? I mean, I'm... doesn't shut off. Oh, so it's always on? Yeah, I, I, I changed screen. auto lock to never. It's something about it's, your screen. That I might be know. it. Yeah, I'm in display it's, and brightness. It's in... Um, or is it in control center? Well, that's within... Con- oh, oh, yeah, no, no, you're right. it's not control center. No, control center's got nothing. <laughs> general. General. Could be in general. Yeah, it's in general. A lot of the other iPhoneers here. More than more than just silence it, you mean? No, I, I just want it so that basically I can refer to my notes during the without interview it without it, it like uh, having to like rewake it. Uh, yeah, I think, I think display and brightness. I went to oh. yeah, so 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 I changed um, auto lock to never. You should be good. That might be good.